0: evening (laughs) welcome 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 if you have your Bibles you can turn to first Peter chapter 1 we'll we'll be there this evening now as we begin tonight whether you're a runner or not and I'm not going to do a survey necessarily but whether you're a runner or not let's just picture for me uh, a race, just for a moment, uh, a race. So as runners move up to the starting line, they're likely, hopefully, remembering why it is that they actually are running this race, right, like, there be some, what motivated them to want to go to this particular race and and, and run, right? So then as they're taking their mark, they're getting ready. um, They're likely thinking through the parameters of the race: where does it start? Where does it end? How long is it? What are the rules? Like, what's going to disqualify me? And you know, how am I going to make sure that I am able to finish the race that I started? So once all this is clear, they have in front of them uh, reminders of why they're actually about to run the race. They they get set and then they wait for what the the starting gun, which is the go. I say all that to say if if last week. 1 Peter 1, 1 through 12, was the on your mark. Then verses 13 and 14 today are the get set. And 15 and following are the go. So let me explain just a little bit more. Peter starts out this section. I'm going to read it here in a minute. He starts out by saying, therefore. In other words, what Peter's saying is that, Everything that I just talked about, remember all that I just said, us being born again to living hope, that is going to sustain us through these various trials and that we are eagerly waiting for our imperishable inheritance of eternity with Jesus. All of that informs what is going to come next. So it's important to understand he's mindful that apart from all that we have in Jesus, all the hope that we have, what he's about to ask of us next, it can't be done apart from the hope we have in Jesus. So, got to keep this living hope in us at the forefront of our hearts and our minds as we live out the lives that we're called to live. So, again, whether you're a runner or not, you can at least visualize this. Like the runner at the beginning of the race, we, us, you and me, got to be reminded and encouraged about why we're running the race in the first place. Why can we be confident that the race we're running is worthy of our effort and even the suffering that we are going to experience as we fully exert ourselves, right? So I I don't know, Um, again, how many of you actually do enjoy running? I'll just take a, a brief survey right here. So like three of you, okay, cool. If you were going to run a race next week, every one of us were gonna go run a race next week and you had no idea why you were going to run that race, how likely are you to finish once you get started? Once you get to, I don't know, say mile four, or 10, or 30, or 50, however far you're going. If you're like me, you're probably saying something like, what what am I even doing? Like, I don't have to be doing this. I'm tired, I hurt, I don't want to do it anymore, I'm done. Maybe you're like me, maybe you're not. But if we were running a race to, say, raise awareness for like veteran suicide, right? Or we're raising money for research for some cause that you are favorable toward. In that moment, you're much more likely to push through the difficult because you have a purpose. You know why it is that you're doing what you're doing. And when it gets tough, you can push through. In the Marine Corps, we used to call it um, embracing the suck. I don't know if they still say that, but sometimes life sucks, right? Well, maybe it doesn't for you and your life is perfect, but sometimes it's hard and you just got to lean into it and embrace it, but it's a whole lot easier when you know why it is what you're doing, what you're doing. So it's not a perfect comparison. I get that for what Peter's talking about, but the sentiment is true. It's the same. Christian, he's telling you what you're about to do is for your good and God's glory. I promise you that. It may get tough along the way, but remember, everything that you encounter is for a purpose. It's going to build up your faith. It's going to mature you. And you've got God's power sustaining you throughout this thing. And then there's this tremendous prize as you cross the finish line. We've got glory for eternity with Christ. Now, Peter says, all right, go. Now that we have this foundation, we're all ready to set. You know what you're doing. Now go. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Let me just briefly pray for us, and we'll jump into our text this evening. So, Lord, thank you for this night. Thank you for the opportunity to gather as your people. Lord, your word is is life. It's, It's hope. It's encouragement. It's what we need to build our lives around. God, would you allow the word that we hear tonight, the word that we read each and every day, to influence and shape and prop up our lives. I pray against every distraction, Lord, that's trying to to pull our mind away from hearing, whether it's the traffic or airplanes or your stomach growling or whatever it is. Lord, would you just focus us in for these next minutes and hear that truth that you desire for us to hear. And God, speak through me. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so if you're a note-taker, overarching theme from the passage tonight is this. The hope that we have in Jesus leads us to pursue holy living. The hope that we have in Jesus, all that we talked about last week, the hope that we have in Jesus leads us to pursue holy living. That's sort of the positive way of looking at it. The the negative or the reverse way of looking at it would be saying, without the hope we have in Jesus, we are unable to live holy lives. Maybe you look at it that way differently. Without the hope of Jesus, we are unable to live holy lives. So I told you we're in 1 Peter, and I did not lie. 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to take it in little pieces. So if you would read with me 1 Peter 1, 13 and 14. Therefore... Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Okay, pause there. Therefore, you know the old cheesy saying, anytime you see therefore, you've got to look back to see what it's there for, okay? He says, prepare your minds for action. Now, this is the same expression from the Old Testament of gird up your loins. When's the last time anybody here girded up their loins? Anybody? Anybody know what girding up your loins means? Right? Yeah, if you had a a long sort of tunicky gown thing that everybody wore, and you were about to go running or or do some sort of activity, you would literally gird up your loins, your cloth of of the robe, tuck it into your belt so that you could go. That's what it means. It's... From the Old Testament and expression. Um, Peter is saying that we're supposed to be taking a posture of preparedness. Like be prepared. Something is about to happen. So gird up the loins of your mind. Get set to go. Be sober minded. Be sober minded. Another way to say this is to be disciplined in your thought. Be disciplined in your thought. You see, hoping Christians, which we are, if we have hope in Jesus, hoping Christians cannot live carelessly. We've got to be intentional about what we do and work hard to avoid the inebriation of the world. Right? That world is constantly trying to influence our thoughts and our behaviors. And verse 14, it calls to mind the very opposite of the kind of behavior that we're talking about here. That old way of living, he says. Don't be conformed to that. Like, don't live that way any longer. That's not what our focus is on. Our hope and our focus is on something new. So be sober-minded. And as your hope is fully set on the grace that you have and will have in the Lord, man, now you're ready to go. And fully set, believe it or not, means fully set, like completely set. He's talking about the certainty that we have. So is your hope in Jesus, is it a casual hope? It is like, uh, man, you know, maybe, maybe not, I'm not really sure. No. It's not, it's not the same thing as saying like, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. Like, that's not the kind of hope we're talking about here. This hope is certain. It's a fact. This is our firm foundation, church. And we are now prepared to build on that. And we go forward, anchored to the hope that we have in Jesus. So, This is not unique to Peter. We're we're encouraged like this to the entire Bible. If you want to look at Hebrews 6, 19 through 20, you can turn there. I'll read it here in a second. It's another version of this same kind of thing. Hebrews 6, 19 and 20 says, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever. I love that language. A steadfast anchor of our soul, who Jesus is and what he's done for us. So with this in mind, Peter now shows us what the go portion is, is all about. Like we're, we're at our mark. We know where we're going. We know why we're going. We know what's going to sustain us as we're going. And now he's saying, all right, Go. So what, is it, what does a go look like, Peter? Where, where, where were you doing? Let's look at verses 15 and 16 and see what the go is. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So he's telling us to be holy. So that's good. I mean, I thought it was going to be something difficult. But holy, I mean, that's, that's no problem, right? Uh-huh. Got it. Well, think about it just for a minute. In your own mind, what, what does it mean to be holy? You don't have to say it out loud, but just think in your mind, what does it mean to be holy? Well, some people think it's, it's following the rules and regulations perfectly. Like, if you do this, man, you are holy. I think, I think that's wrong. <laughs> in fact, I know it is. That's not what the Bible teaches. The word that's used here means, in a moral sense, pure and sinless. Morally pure and sinless. Is that anybody here? <laughs> right? We know it doesn't describe us. Okay? That's not necessarily the point because there's another layer to the holiness used to describe God. And that is to be cut off or separate. Anybody heard that before? Separate. This is the idea that God is cut off from everything that is unholy. Namely, sin. Right? Right? Bible teaches that God is light, and in him there is no darkness, no trace of evil in him. He is holy, that's W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy, perfect, and complete in every way. Now, we don't really, in our human mind, have a way to fully understand this. In fact, when the angels try to express the holiness of God in heaven, what do they have to say? Holy how many times? holy 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 is the lord god they have to say it three times just to begin to even try to express how holy he is we don't understand it and then in revelation 15 it says god alone is holy and yet peter is just telling us to be holy so what exactly does that leave us if this is kind of the standard and God is calling us to be holy, what does that mean? Well, here it is in a nutshell. We are holy in the sense that we have been set apart by God for a purpose. And it's through our relationship with him. Right? We're born again to living hope. That's what enables that. Separated from the world, but again, for a purpose. Only by the grace given to us by God. We're different. From the world around us because of the holiness that we've inherited from God. It's, it's, it's not the same level of perfection as him, but it is a reflection of that. Our holiness, I think, is most clearly seen in our actions, our words, our behaviors. And that's what separates us apart from the world. So if you are been a Christian for any time, um, often it's these differences from the world that bring about the persecution, brings the name-calling, the hostility from the world. People aren't really keen to know that their behavior is wrong and out of line with what God teaches, even if it's just through their observation of your behavior. However, sometimes Christians, none of you, I know, go a little bit beyond what is necessary to sort of, you know, project their holiness as some sort of title that they've earned they flaunt it to belittle the unbelievers around them as if they can take credit for themselves well guess what in that moment you just stopped being holy in your attempt to be over holy you are no longer holy anymore okay so stop it whoever that is it's not you It's talking to people online or the recording later all that to say this we are different than the world around us because of the grace of god Again, he's called us out of dark into his marvelous light. He tells us that later in 1 Peter. And as a result, we're forever changed. So in light of this, look at verse 17. He's going to tell us how we ought to carry ourselves. And if you call on him as a father who judges impartially, according to one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time as an exile. So we're exiles, right? We're sojourners. We don't belong here anymore. But conduct yourselves with fear or, or reverence is another word there. That is how we ought to look and reflect on who God is. Not only that, though, look at the next verses, 18 and 19. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. I love this. Peter reminds us that we've been ransomed. So the word here, again, is pulled from another Old Testament idea that a person back then could be purchased out of slavery, ransomed out of the slavery in which they found themselves. We, as believers, have been ransomed. We've been redeemed from the empty and futile ways of previous generations and we've been brought into a relationship with God how does he tell us that we've been purchased not with money, right, not silver, not gold but with what, the precious blood of Christ and then he describes it as the lamb without spot or blemish so here we go again, another Old Testament reference, what are we talking about here a a lamb without spot or blemish sacrifice, what do we think we're talking about Talking about the Passover, right? The Exodus, God passing over Israel as they brushed the, literally the 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 lamb's blood around the doorframe so that the angel of death would pass over them. Only this time, in Christ, it's perfect, sinless blood which is able then to purchase freedom from sin and spiritual death. So Peter's going really overboard with these Old Testament references, and Mike's going to pick up on some of that next week because he's talking to What kind of audience? Is it a Jewish audience? No? What kind of audience is it? Remember? It's a Gentile audience. They're not Jews. So he's using all of these illustrations that, hey, you know what? You weren't this, but now you've been brought into the family. You've been adopted as sons and daughters. Now you are part of the family. And I'm going to use these expressions to to, to show you, and remind you, that you have been brought in to God's chosen people who have been bought at a great price. And with that great price comes a great freedom. All right, let's look at these next few verses here. 20 through 25. He was foreknown from the foundation of the world but was manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God and raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of a perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So listen, none of this was an accident. This was God's plan from before the foundation's Of the world. But now, we finally see it. Peter's audience sees it firsthand. We see it through this lens of the scriptures. But now, here it is. God sent Jesus into the world to ransom a people to himself. That's what the cross was all about, right? Jesus Christ, sinless and perfect, dying in our place in order to rescue us from the penalty that we rightly had coming. And then then God raises from the dead... Right? glorifies Him into heaven, seats Him at the right hand of Father, that is our hope and faith. So have you put your hope and faith in God tonight? Have you been born again not of an imperishable seed? In other words, do you know who you are in Christ eternally? It's not able to be changed. The Word of God, it assures it. He tells The word of the Lord remains forever. That's a promise that we have in the word of God. It's unchanging. Our status as children of God is unchanging. So we're called to be holy as God is holy. And one of the ways that we do this is by living according to his word. One of the memory verses that some of you might have memorized is Psalm 119, verse 9 and 11. This says, how can a young man keep his way pure?" by guarding it according to your what? The word. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You see, the word of God plays a key role in helping us to remain unstained from the world. But church, we've got to have an appetite for the word of God. The pure and unadulterated word of God. Let me ask you, why do you think Christians lack an appetite for the word any thoughts what's that they're already full on something else man you nailed it Mike. nice right they've been consuming something else for too long then that something else is the things of the world now how many of you really enjoy changing your diet when you're going from maybe not so healthy to healthy anybody really enjoy like okay john really likes it that's good Well, let's just say you have a high fat, high sugar, yummy deliciousness kind of diet and you're going to go straight healthy. That's generally not fun because that yummy deliciousness was never a part of God's plan for your body. That is a man-made substitute that satisfies an appetite for instant satisfaction and really doesn't give any account for the long-term effects that that is going to have on your body. Because what we really need is Good stuff, nutrients, vitamins, minerals, all that kind of stuff, which generally speaking comes in a less than desirable form, at least for the person whose diet has been unhealthy, right? You know, say like broccoli or Brussels sprouts, as opposed to a Big Mac or Double Double. Mm. This is a direct parallel to our appetite for the word of God. We don't want it because we're being satisfied by other things. But we must remain separate from the world. And one very important way we do that is by knowing the word of God and letting it shape who we are and what we do. One pastor says this, it's good to know the word of God, but it should help us better know the God of the word. Like, if you just know Scripture, you've got it memorized, and there is no application, there's no influence on your life, it's not really having some transformative effect, we're falling short. It's good to know the Word of God, but it should help us to better know the God of the Word. All right, let's look at the next section. This is the closing section, actually, of chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. So put away all malice. And all deceit, hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now remember, these chapter and verse markings are there just to help us navigate. They're not necessarily, uh, they certainly weren't included in the original. This would just been a letter. So we think the thought just kind of concludes there. So here's, here's Peter one last time in this section urging us to step out of your old ways of living and pursue holy living. He says, stop lying. <laughs> Quit lying to get ahead. Stop being envious and bad-mouthing people. And don't be one of those Christians who plays the part on Sunday morning or Saturday night, claims Christianity, right, and then le- lives the rest of the week tarnishing the name of Jesus by, by their words and their actions. Don't be a hypocrite, he says. Instead... Long for the spiritual milk. Long for it. And we should crave this thing in our lives as if we're depending on it. Like a baby needs milk to to survive. We need this to survive. We ought to long for the things that grow us, strengthen us, sustain us. And in case you missed it, the this is the word. That is what we're talking about here. That's the spiritual milk that sustains us. Pure, in that it's undefiled by the world. So here it is, another illustration of us being completely separated from the world based on what we're feeding on. What is your appetite for? This is how we grow. It's how we mature in the Lord, by studying His Word and seeking to understand it so that we might be holy as He is holy. Okay, God is perfectly holy, correct? He is whole, W-H-O-L-E, whole, complete, lacking nothing. So the way that we can pursue holy living, this is what I'm wrapping up with here. The way that you and I can pursue holy living is to offer our whole self to God. So what is our whole self? We're just gonna narrow it down to something. It's gonna be our head, our heart, In our hands. Our head, our heart, and our hands. When we bring these three things together, all working to bring glory to God, we're living holy lives. When we think, meditate on the word of God. That becomes a truth then that we believe fully in our hearts. Which then leads us to live out those actions in our hands. It's here where we're truly pursuing lives of holiness, right? We're completely integrating the truth of God into every part of us. Our head, our hearts, and our hands come under the influence of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, not under the influence of the world. This is what we need to long for, and it's what we need to desire above all things. And out of this, Holy living comes our dependence upon the hope that we have in Jesus. That's our anchor. Once again, it's, it's who we are in him, what we have in his promises, and what we have guaranteed in eternity with him. That motivates us. That's, that's why we're at the starting line. We're, we're going over in our heads. Why am I doing this again? Is it really worth it? <laughs> this is going to hurt. I know it's, it's going to get tough, and I might feel like stopping sometimes. But why am I doing this again? Oh, yeah, because it's bringing glory to God. That's what I've been called to do. I'm different from the world. I know that people are going to look at me different. They're going to maybe, you know, push me aside or or discount me or whatever. I understand that. I get it. That's not going to stop me. I know why I'm running this race. My hope is set on him, and I'm anchored to that hope. Holy living, and we cannot do it apart from that hope that we have in him. So I'll just use that as a sort of a test, a litmus test, if you will. Is my head, my heart, and my hands, are they being influenced by the word or by the world? And we can know that based on how we're living in our actions, in our words, in our deeds, etc. Amen? All right, let's pray. Well, Father, we just thank you so much for your word. Again, thank you for, for allowing us to be who it is you've called us to be. Sons and daughters, if we have put our faith and trust in you, God, we are new creations in Christ Jesus. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. So, Lord, as we're pursuing you, as we're, our eyes are fixed on you, would you help us to live lives that are holy, that are separate, that are set apart, unique from this world, so that we might bring you glory. So that my people might look at us and go, "There's something different about that person. I don't know what it is, but man, I like it." There's a hopefulness there. There's there's a gentleness there. There's a lovingness there. There's there's a grace that's extended. Now all these things that that you demonstrate and display for us, Lord, we want to be a reflection of that to the world. We know that it's easier said than done, Lord. That is challenging, but God, help us to run the race that's set before us. Help us to be diligent and faithful as we run that race and keep our eyes fixed on you. And Lord, we just ask for your help along the way from you, from your Holy Spirit, and from our brothers and sisters around us and help us. As we get tired, they lift, lift us up and pull us out, keep us going. That's, that's what you have us here for in this community of believers. Help us to stay strong and faithful trusting in you for all that we need and all that we have. Thank you, in Jesus' name. Amen.